Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Will Miles, you're back in the saddle. Yeah, man, I'm excited to go. It's got got sort of a unique episode tonight. Hopefully people will enjoy it and certainly uh, enjoy giving people some content during the offseason since the... Uh, Florida program decided to kind of strip things down to the studs for us this spring. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into Josh Pate uh, from 24-7, the, the, the late kick podcast that he does for 24-7 sports. He'll hop on here. I wanted to bring him on. Uh, we, we, we go around the SEC a little bit, of course. SEC spring practice is over uh, for a lot of programs out there. So I wanted to get an update on the programs out there, too. But, of course, this is Gators Breakdown. So we had to ask Josh uh, his thoughts about the Gators and some interesting questions and some interesting answers there for, for, from Josh. So we we're going to try something new here. Uh, got the whole interview that I cut if you're a Gators Breakdown Plus member, hopefully many of you have already listened to this interview. They've had early access to the uh, Josh Pate interview here, but we'll get it rolling here. We're going to play the interview during the episode, and then Will and I uh, will jump in at uh, key moments uh, of there and give our feedback to Josh's answers and even answer the questions ourselves. So uh, I can answer I can answer questions I've asked myself, Will. <laughs> it's a little bit meta here, considering that you've been through this interview already. But no, nah, like I said, it's kind of an interesting format. We'll see how people like it. And uh, certainly Josh had a lot of interesting things to say about Florida and some things I think we both probably agree with and some things that maybe we want to at least clarify our opinions in terms of where we maybe disagree a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And man, of course, uh, we've got plenty to get into uh, NFL draft as well. So uh, that was very interesting over the weekend. A lot of storylines for the Gators. Eight players drafted. Uh, we'll definitely get into that. That'll be after the interview with Josh. But uh, plenty, plenty, plenty uh, to get into. Uh, while you're on YouTube, we're streaming it live. Let's try and let's try and set that light record. I don't even know what the light record is, but let's go ahead and set it. So, uh, oh, uh, everybody, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you're watching live. If you're watching the uh, uh, 
after the fact, after it's live, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you are not already subscribed. And find us on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Gators Breakdown, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. That's where you can find Gators Breakdown. So without further ado, let's start this interview with Josh Pate. Josh Pate from 24-7 Sports joining us here on Gators Breakdown. He's host of the Late Kick Podcast. Josh, plenty to get into uh, spring storylines. I, I, I kind of delayed it a little bit. The NFL draft kind of took over last week, so I know this has kind of been in the work for the last couple of weeks. But uh, thanks for hanging with me and, and plenty to discuss with with the Gators and, and, and the rest of the SEC. Yeah, the NFL draft tends to do that. I don't have a problem getting out of the way. Now, what I won't get out of the way for is like when they have the Oscars or the Grammys on the Sunday night, we just power right through that stuff. But if the draft wants to come through, I'll pull off to the side of the road. That's fine. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, so thanks for doing that. And let's get in here and talk to these Gators a little bit. And we'll move back a little. Uh, as a natural uh, observer that you are, you know, you're, you're based in the South. But, of course, with your podcast, you cover the, the, the entire uh, world of college football. So as a, as a neutral observer, how did you view the end of the 2020 season for the Gators, all the off-field events with Dan Mullen, all the NFL talk, whether true or not? Looking back, how do you view that in your world? It feels like someone took two seasons, one that went really well, one that went kind of poorly, and they just threw them in a blender, turned it on, turned it off, poured it out in the cup, and that was kind of the Florida 2020 season. Because it really depends – if you were to have woken up at various points of that year and just observed one or two week stretches of Florida football, you would have seen totally different worlds, not just teams, but like totally different worlds because the environment in and around the program felt totally different. And I go back to that LSU game, which a lot of people can go back to and quote unquote point to, but that one, it shocked me so much, not just because there was a big upset point spread wise, that kind of stuff happens every now and then, but it's, Knowing what Florida had on the line, knowing what they had down the road, potentially, I mean, there was an outside shot that team could have scraped into the playoff. And having it all on the line and not showing up that night, that really disappointed me. I thought it was a – and not to rehash all this stuff, but I thought it was a big – it was a big point where Dan Mullen allowed his team to drop the ball because I just don't think they showed up prepared. And that's not, that's not a, even a deal of execution. I mean, that's just a deal of preparation. So that's something you can never allow to have happen. But then – the moving into the offseason, after they got past Oklahoma, or after they got past the game, I mean, I was very, very curious about how much juice there was behind those rumors about Dan Mullen and the NFL. Now, I know nothing happened with them, and you can listen to sources in the aftermath come out and say, well, there was never anything to that. Dan Mullen was never going to get an NFL job. Well, that's cool, but did he know that is my point, point. and my point is, I could try and angle my way out of CBS and 24-7 sports to get an NFL head coaching job. And I could try really, really, really hard. Now, I'm not going to get it, but that doesn't mean I wasn't trying really hard. And if I'm trying really hard, that means my focus may be detached from what it needs to be, which is, you know, doing my things that I'm supposed to do around here. So if he wanted something and he didn't get it, and now we're heading into a new season, I wonder how easy it is to stop and then start back up. If there's nothing to that, then we'll find it out because Florida will be right back to playing very, very competitive high-level football this year. All right, Will, so we'll hop in there. And the whole NFL thing and maybe that being on the mind of Dan Mullen, my thing is, will we even know? 
I mean, if, okay, if Florida goes eleven and one, that's pretty obvious. Okay, his 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 head's in the right spot. He's leading Florida to to, to big time games, big time victories, or in Atlanta, fighting for a college football playoff spot. But if Florida goes nine and three, eight and four, seven and five. Am I really going to sit here and say, well, it's because Dan Mullen's mind was on the NFL? I'm not going to know that. There's so much change on this team to where that could happen anyway. You know, Dan Mullen could have not, whether he flirted with the NFL or not. You know, we've re, we, we, I don't want to rehash that, but if it's seven and five, eight and four, nine and three, more than likely the eight and four, seven and five range, that's where people will wonder is Dan Mullen's head in the game as Florida head coach? We're not going to know that. I mean, if Emory Jones does an interception and it's third and six in the fourth quarter, I'm going to sit here and say, well, he wouldn't have thrown that if Dan Mullen's mind wasn't on the NFL. No, of course not. So, you know, to me, it, it, we'll never know. We can't quantify the well how much is his mind on the nfl i don't think we're ever really gonna know of course unless he just comes out and says it after the season takes a job or whatever or if he takes it maybe if he takes a job after the season we can be like well maybe there were some points in the season we could point to to say yeah his mind might have been not in Gainesville on nfl but to me for for the most part there's absolutely no way we're gonna know I mean, I, I think you'd find people who'd argue that his mind wasn't in some of the games last year, right? <laughs> particularly point, yeah. particularly when you talk about the bowl game against Oklahoma. I mean, it was pretty clear that he was looking ahead and wasn't necessarily taking that all that seriously. So I'm sure, you know, the thing is, is Mullen is, is an interesting guy. He wants to do things his way. He's made that pretty clear. He's not media savvy when it comes to doing the things that the media is not going to criticize him for and we've seen that with the Darth Vader costume which I actually tweeted today everybody seemed to like since it's May 4th but then the incident at Missouri and and the uh, you know the the COVID stuff that he did after Texas A&M and then sort of the comments that he made after Oklahoma look he's just not media friendly and and he doesn't pretend to be um so what's going to end up happening, I suspect, is that the narrative will be cast depending upon how the team does, right? So if the team does seven and five, it'll be that he's it'll be that he's distracted. It won't be that he hasn't recruited well enough. It won't be that guys didn't develop. It won't be that you know Florida lost eight guys to the NFL plus another three undrafted free agents. It'll be you know he was distracted or whatever the case might be. I don't know that that's going to be accurate, but I think narrative matters when you're talking about the fan base and narrative matters when you're talking about people's confidence in his ability to get the job done, which is why that Oklahoma game, I think, rubbed people the wrong way, because there's a narrative that, you know, that, you know, in the SEC, at least there are no weeks off. Right. And to go out there and lay an egg. It sort of cast the narrative that, you know, we don't necessarily take every game seriously. And and that to me would be the thing that, that is, I guess, concerning, but I mean, whatever, if I, I, everyone has looked for a job and not gotten it, everybody's interviewed for a job and not gotten it. You don't go home, lie on the floor and cry about it. You do better at the position that you're in so that you can then get that job that you want. If, if that's what you really, really want. So I don't buy this. He's distracted. So he'll do a crappy job. It doesn't help him achieve what he was trying to achieve if he's trying to get to the NFL. I mean, if he keeps his nose clean and Florida goes 11 and one, he probably has a real shot at getting a job for the NFL. Now, if he goes seven and five and he says a bunch of stupid stuff that makes his administration have to work harder, eh, probably not going to the NFL. So, I mean, he actually, like, if that really is his motivation, then it would make sense for him to excel. So I, I, just, I just don't get the argument that, that his mind's someplace else, so things are going to struggle. 
Yeah, I, I agree there. I know uh, the there's there's the narrative out there on social media that you know recruiting is falling in some kind of way because of maybe eyes on the NFL and recruiting is exactly and, where it's been you, for the last five there years. Go. There you go. It's there not there getting go. any better. It's not getting any worse. We will be somewhere <laughs> between eighth and fifteenth when all the dust settles. That's where Mullen ends up, right? Yeah. I mean, and and anybody expecting a giant leap into the top three is going to be disappointed. Anybody thinking we're still going to be at 25th or 26th when the dust settles is also going to be – is probably going to be elated that, that he sneaks into the top 10 or something. But um, it, it's been four straight years, Groundhog Day, the exact same thing in recruiting. I expect it will be the same this year as well. Yeah, we know what to expect now. So believe me, a, a, a 10th. 11th, 12th place finish is not going to signify Dan Mullen's minds on the NFL. <laughs> so. I've already written that article four times. I'm, I'm done writing it. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll look at the kids that come in, and that's about it. So we can't and, and, and look for the recruiting article on Read and Reaction in a couple of weeks. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's continue here with Josh Bates. All right, so along those lines, go back to 2018. Dan Mullen's hired at Florida, coming from Mississippi State. A lot of success there. Do you feel the same about Dan Mullen as when he was hired in 2018 about the projection of him and the Florida program moving forward? Yeah, that's where I differ, I think, from a lot of people because I I really think a lot of people may be prisoners of emotion and prisoners of just the last thing they saw. And so the last thing you saw is an embarrassment against Oklahoma. So Dan Mullen's very, very overrated now. Well, I don't think like that. And I always do the water versus honey analogy. If you put two drops on a paper plate, one drop of honey, one drop of water, then you turn the plate to the side, the water just drops right off. The honey starts to drop, but it takes a long time for that honey to run off the plate. And that's how I like to have the speed of my opinions move when it comes to whether a coach (laughs) is properly rated, underrated, overrated. So, listen, nothing changed about Dan Mullen's ability to design and scheme an offense or develop a quarterback. Uh, They're recruiting – I think as an apparatus is trending in the right direction. It's certainly not Alabama yet. Nothing else out there is, by the way. But I think it's trending in the right direction. So as a whole, if I'm viewing it 50,000 feet, yeah, I I think the same of Dan Mullen today as I did of him entering last season. So no spring game for the Gators. One of the, you know, them in Kentucky, the only schools in the SEC not to not to hold a spring game. No open practices. They kicked it off really early compared to the rest of the SEC. So all we really had to go on was word of mouth. Uh, what are your initial thoughts from everything that was coming out in the Gators' secretive spring? Very secretive spring, yeah. <laughs> and Michigan had one up in uh, Ann Arbor that was kind of like this too where you needed – a plant or like a, a brother in the CIA to find out what was going on. But I, I kept on hearing, I got a Gator buddy who follows this stuff religiously and he he's on every single practice report, every single rumor. And he kept asking me, have you heard anything about Emory Jones accuracy? Have you heard anything about his ability to push the ball down the field? And well, my answer was, yeah, I've heard he is who he is. And that's kind of where I circle back to. I really wonder since this was such a secretive spring, and I know a lot of diehard fans don't, this doesn't apply to you, but maybe more casual fans, they knew what they had in Kyle Trask and they know who Emory Jones is, but they haven't really placed their sole focus on him until now. Well, you didn't get to see him in spring because of the reasons we just stated. So the first time you may see him is, I don't know, some practice footage in fall camp or maybe just the first game of the year. If you're expecting that same kind of offense to duplicate itself, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. And so that doesn't mean you can't succeed. That just means you got to go about things maybe a different way, maybe even a way that's a little more conducive to the way we saw Dan Mullen 
do offense in previous stops and in his previous life. But I wonder in the aggregate how they can replace production. Because really it doesn't matter how you score. It doesn't matter. Like if you win, you win. How do you do it? Do you do it 52 to 48 or do you do it 31 to 23? I'll take the win either way. But they got to really enhance things defensively in order to play that kind of complementary football. And that's the kind of stuff that you wish you could have some observation periods for and you wish you could at least get some eyeballs on them in the spring because otherwise all you have to go on is word of mouth. And the problem there, David, is, as you know, and we know all too well, if the one or two mouths that you think you can rely on just happen to give you something misleading, then it spreads like wildfire because that's the only source of information. And then the entire fan base ends up believing something for months at a time that was born out of a falsehood. And so I'm not identifying anything in particular. I'm just saying it gets really tough to discern what's what when that's the case. Yeah, Josh, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because with the way it was held so secretly, I have a tend, I tend to believe that what got out is what the coaching staff probably wanted to get out because that's usually how these things fall uh, with spring and how they were able to control everything. We got some Instagram live videos and, and that was about it. But of course, that was be- toward the beginning of practice and, and, and the beginning of the whole spring. So we didn't get a whole lot of pure 11 of a, uh, 11 on 11 or, or anything or any any highlights of scrimmages or anything like that. So I think it does beg the question, of course we were going to hear the defense was going to get better. They really have nowhere to go but up. But, you know, it still leaves the questions of, okay, you had some coaching changes on that side of the ball, especially back in the secondary. To go back and look at the NFL draft this past weekend and, and Marco Wilson's getting drafted and, and uh, uh, Sean Davis is getting drafted and to, to Daryl Slayton's getting drafted, you know, three draft picks there that were on this, you know, terrible defense. So I think going back in spring, they have nowhere to go but up. We were going to hear improvement because that's pretty much all they have to to, to, to go on. They, they they are going to get better just because they were so bad. But it does it, it does make you still wonder, okay, what's the jump for the defense? They are going to be better. They weren't as bad as they showed last year. I think confidence got down pretty early. But with the projected – you know, dip in offense just a bit because it is going to be a different offense. You know, the 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 dips not necessarily because of um, I, I think you go the dip's going to happen just because it's hard to replicate a Kyle Trask, a Kyle Pitts, and a Kadarius Tony. It's going to be different. You make and still score points, but the defense is going to have to get better just because of I think the, the dip on the offense that is projected there. Yeah, and realize this. You know, if you're a Florida fan, you may be focused on Gainesville right now. They, to a to a much richer degree, they're dealing with this at Alabama, too. You're losing a historic offense, back-to-back years, really. And Bryce Young, you know, he's expected to be very good. They got another good crop of receivers coming in. But even at Alabama, they're looking around saying, we probably can't just count on being able to duplicate what we did offensively last year. Now, luckily for them, they're just stock full of defensive talent. And so they reasonably think they can improve, but zooming it back down to Florida, the question you asked is the apropos question. I always love to work that word in at least once (laughs) a week. It's not just, are we improving? Because I I actually think you're right when you say it can't really get much worse. Sometimes people don't realize what they're saying when they say that. But in this case, I really think when you consider what just the minimum baseline of Florida football defensively should be given the talent, Uh, Last year was about the minimum or close to it. And so, yeah, I actually think improvement was a default. It's almost a default setting. Now, the question you ask, since this is not just in a vacuum, is not only how much does the defense have to improve, period, 
But then it's, again, complementary. How does that defense have to improve to not only get better, but then also maybe compensate for what we're losing production-wise offensively? That's why it's reasonable to think if you're going to win the East at Florida this year, there has to be somewhat of a quantum leap made defensively, not just, not just a noticeable one. It has to be a quantum leap. And to do that, man, you watched it as well as I did. It's not one facet that needs to be addressed there. I mean, there's several facets that need to be addressed. But the reason why the reason why no one really feels sorry for Florida is because this is not like you're trying to do this at Texas San Antonio or someplace like that. You may you may have had some underdeveloped defensive talent, but the defensive talent is there, and the transfer portal is there any given year. And so, you know, they've done it before with pieces defensively. I don't know why in the world we would think they'll never be able to do it again. But, man, that's going to be one of the first things to watch when we finally tee it up this fall, if that's the first chance we really get to have an impression, is how far along has Florida come defensively? All right, Will, we'll come, we'll come there. Uh, I missed my first stop there, but that's fine. Uh, so um, mainly, uh, and I put this in the title of the episode, and probably the kind of the theme, and it, and it paired with – offense and defense and not really getting to see spring, but you know, the, pro- the projection of Dan Mullen. And I, I do think Florida not having a spring. And I mean, I, I said it when Georgia was having their spring game, I was like, of course, the media is going to fall in love with, with, with Georgia. They did before. So anyway, but we were going to get, get it all over again when their spring games being televised, of course. So all, all the analysts that are there and SEC network plus and all that, and, and they're showing it. And of course, all the Georgia love is going to go out there. Uh, so it was, you know, the, the projection of Dan Mullen. When Dan Mullen was hired in 2018, do you still think the same of Dan Mullen after the 2020 season? And you know, I brought the conversation up in the Gators Breakdown Plus chat uh, today, too. And a lot the, the two main answers I got back was, this is pretty much what I expected. And, and, and I said, well, is that good or bad? And they said, well, that's a bit of both. <laughs> so, you know, the, the recruiting, look, I had, I don't know how many Mississippi State media people on when Dan Mullen was hired. Everything they said so far is true. That you know, good on-field coach. He's going to develop his tail off. Now, look, of course, he's going to recruit better at Florida than he does at Mississippi State. And that shows in all the draft picks that he's had the last couple of years, all the develop, all the uh, the, the developed players that he put in the NFL draft this couple of years. That was just going to happen naturally anyway. It was the question of can he get Florida back to the elite recruiting? Well, not really. But you know, and, and we get into that conversation a little bit later too. But the you know not necessarily just looking at the recruiting rankings, look at the team talent composite too, when that rolls around in August and where Florida rank, you know, pretty firmly in the top 10 there uh, for, for most year or for at least going into last year in 2020 showed that, but the disappointing end, I think left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth and how it ended. So uh, I did think, you know, to get a national narrative of, uh, believe me, I see it all the time on, on social media and not just social media. I know, I know Twitter's not the whole world of Gator nation, I've had conversations with people not on social media, and, and you know the, the question is, you know where where does Florida go from from 2020, and is the confidence there that Dan Mullen's gonna you know bounce back from 2020 and basically put the mindset back at what the fans expected when he was hired in 2018? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. When I go back and think about what I thought about Mullen when he came from Mississippi State, is I looked at Mississippi State's track record and I said, all right, compared to Sylvester Croom and compared to most of the people who'd been there at Mississippi State, he had been a better recruiter. And so I kind of expected that he was going to be a better recruiter at Florida. So we were talking probably, 
you know, maybe not Georgia and Alabama, but in that four to seven range. And he hasn't been as good there. Now, what I would say is I went and I looked at the film at Mississippi State and said, okay, he's a pretty good on-field coach. And I have been incredibly impressed with his on-field coaching in every game except the last three games of the year. And even the Alabama game, I think there was quite a bit in there that you could look at and marvel a little bit. Um, I think the big thing that sort of colors everybody's view is that every single person who watched the team last year expected Grantham to be gone. And, you know, you and I were basically done with Grantham by the end of the year. And Grantham staying means that I think there are people who have doubts about a killer instinct that you need to have. Sometimes you just have to make a change and we'll see, right? I mean, this year is going to be a referendum on that decision. And that's, I think, where, you know, at the end of the year, if if Grantham has had a fantastic defense and goes on to get a head coaching job someplace else, it's going to be like, all right, well, the people who said Grantham needed to leave have to eat some crow. At the same time, if the defense just sort of marginally improves and, you know, the Gators offense doesn't get good enough and you end up with like one of those seven and five, eight and four seasons. Well, now you've got people who sort of look at all of the the media gaffes and look at the last three games of this year and look at the COVID comments and look at, you know, the, the, the keeping Grantham and then look at the recruiting and all those sorts of things start to build up. So um, my opinion's different. But I think we're kind of where I expected to be. I kind of expected that maybe he wouldn't be as good as advertised on field and that he'd be a better recruiter coming to Florida. And it's sort of been, like you said, exactly what Mississippi State said he would be from a recruiting perspective. And again, I think on field, especially, he's been better than advertised. Yeah, I think I get the angst from the recruiting side of it just because in-state recruiting is where – you would think that should be better with Miami and, and, and FSU struggling while Dan Mullen's been head coach. You couldn't have projected that when Dan Mullen was hired. You could have projected him to beat FSU. You could have projected him to beat Miami when they had to play in 2019, but you probably didn't see the face plant of both of those teams at times when Dan Mullen took over. So I think when you go back and look at 2018, you have to put that in there is because, you know, those programs aren't, it shouldn't be okay. They are, but they shouldn't be fighting you for a lot of top end recruits when you're proving that you can put players in the NFL, when you're going to Atlanta, when you're winning a lot more games than you're losing compared to those programs. I think I get that. That's where a lot of the frustration is. It doesn't matter what you really thought about Dan Mullen's recruiting coming in, but with FSU and Miami being down, you should be at a point where you should be able to take advantage of that. And it's still Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, Clemson coming into the state and getting these guys. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if Miami and Florida State should make a difference. Florida's the flagship university. You should be you're in the the yeah. elite conference in the country. It should be a really easy sell. And the fact that it's not, or at least the fact that it's not the elite sell in the state, says something about the the sales techniques. And I, you know, I've written about this a few times, but you know, during COVID, especially because our sales guys at my normal day job haven't been able to go out and see their customers. You've really seen the separation between the guys who are excellent at building relationships and it just comes naturally. And the guys who are in sales because of other reasons and the relationship isn't really the biggest aspect of it. And and I think that's what it really comes down to is when you look at it, Mullen is a football coach because he wants to be a football coach and he wants to get on the field. He wants guys who want to be film rats and he wants guys who are going to go in there and, and listen and be, be malleable 
valuable and those sorts of things. And you get a guy like Kirby Smart, and he's one of those guys who can go out and sell you a yarn and and, and the story and all that sort of stuff. And even Nick Saban, um, I think at, at this point he's got a ton of credibility, but you know he built that credibility on the backs of guys who were high level recruits at, at LSU and then initially at uh, at Alabama. And so, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the message is salesmen sell. And football coaches coach, and if you find someone who can do both, then that's fantastic, and you have the ability to really build something special. What Georgia has found over the last few years is if Dan Mullen was their offensive coordinator, they might be a really good team with Kirby Smart's ability to sell. And, uh, you know, the, the fortunate part for Florida is that, is that Mullen is not, isn't helping the Bulldogs offense at all. And they've sort of cycled through different offensive coordinators. And I think some of that is Kirby's personality and some of his on-field decisions. So, you know, you get a little bit, you take a little bit. Urban Meyer doesn't come around, but once in a generation for most programs, Steve Spurrier doesn't come around, but once in a generation for programs, Oklahoma was down for an extended period of time before Bob Stoops came back. You know, Nebraska right now is, is just a, is just a mess, even though Scott Frost is there. So it's one of those things where the expectations at Florida are every 10 years, at least we're going to get a title. Um, Mullen may not be able to live up to that, but certainly he has put the Gators in the national conversation in a way that Frost has not been able to do at Nebraska and, and that no one who Tennessee has hired in the last, you know, two decades has been able to do there. So, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's sort of the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The fact that we are, um, the fact that we are, I guess, seen as national contenders on a year to year basis is a major win. The fact that we can't be the dominant big dog in the SEC is a source of frustration. And so you have that tension in the program for depending upon what your expectations are year in, year out. Yeah, well, and I think the tension also comes from there's probably still questions that people didn't envision in 2018. It's, you know, okay, 2018, 2019, Dan Mullen did about as good as he could do. 2020, there are certain like like Josh said, it was like the tale of two different seasons. There were points where you could point to and be like, "Man, this team is one of the nation's best teams." They were going to go compete for a college football playoff spot. And then you had the lows of the lows, of course, without rehashing LSU and Oklahoma. So it's just that, that part. It, it leaves that question: If you know, I, I still think um, you know where and when does the you know consistent wins over Georgia happen. Well, you got one. So, you know, now you got to continue that. And then catching up to Georgia and Alabama where you're in, where you do win the SEC and make the college football playoff appearance. And I I do think people still have that question in their mind of now, when's that going to happen? Because 2020 was supposed to be that year. Yes, you were in Atlanta and you still, you know, I think and a lot of people go back and look at the 2019 LSU team and say, there you were. That there was the perfect storm. They're not the program that in recruit level of an Alabama, but they found a way all the pieces come together for them to win that national championship. And just a year later, we're looking at our Gators to be in that kind of same form. You had the quarterback, you had the offensive weapons. You never saw the drop in defense coming. You were just hoping 2020, yeah, you don't recruit like Alabama. You don't recruit like Georgia, but you had the pieces there where if everything come together, you were going to go win the SEC. You were going to go compete for a national championship. And when that didn't happen and you had the disappointing in the 2020, I think that's where the, the, the projection a little bit is like, oh, man, we, we lost our chance there. When's that next chance? 
Yeah, I mean, I I guess though, you know, you think about this year, the defense, as you said, has to be better. Yeah. Like it, it can't be that bad. Having a spring practice has to help. Um, I know you and I don't necessarily, or at least I specifically, don't have a whole lot of confidence in Grantham long term. But I do think that with a spring and a fall, he's gonna have a defense that's better. You look at it and now they have the hand picked quarterback that 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 Dan Mullen wanted for his offense. Emory Jones is going to be starting. So you've got that coming too. And I think we also need to keep a little bit of perspective, which is, um, you know, Kyle Trask played really well when he came in 2019, but he was not a Heisman Trophy candidate. And 2020 was a major step up for Trask. And, you know, that was something that some people sort of looked at and said, can he take a burrow type leap? And I looked at the stats and said, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. And then he did it. And so I, I'm not going to sit there and and doubt Dan Mullen's ability to get Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson ready to ready to rock and roll when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. He's proven that he has the ability to do that. I mean, the guy won ten games with Felipe Franks, then he won with a backup who who just got drafted by the Buccaneers. So you know, I I think to say all right now he's got a top what eighty. Um, recruit a quarterback and yeah they're going to have some transition but that's college football every four years you got transition you're always having guys moving in moving out and yeah if you recruit at a top 10 level you need to mesh the offense and the defense together at the right time but let's not forget LSU's defense in 2019 wasn't all that great it It did improve throughout the year but it was not that great the offense was just otherworldly now Again, had if Florida had had a spring practice, would they have been able to see that improvement? Maybe, maybe not. I think that's on. I mean, it's on Grantham, but it's also on Mullen, right? Because Mullen hires Grantham. That's where the doubt starts to seep in. But um, you know, it's it sort of the other thing. I, I think, at least, I try to keep in mind is if I was a Georgia fan, I'd be going nuts. Yeah, because I'm winning yeah. the recruiting battle every year. Time. Yeah, I talk to them all the time. They, they, they are frustrated in some form and fashion as well. I mean, from you know, we're sitting here going, "Do you have confidence in Mullen?" It's like, well, he can't recruit, but or he can't recruit at the level of Alabama and Georgia, I should say. But he's able to win games that he shouldn't. And yeah, there might be a hiccup every once in a while where the team doesn't necessarily come prepared for the Vanderbilts or the or the Tennessees, or unfortunately last year the LSU's. But for the most part, the team's going to come out, be prepared, and and be able to beat be competitive on a week-to-week basis as opposed to Georgia who just seems to choke one away every year in a ridiculous fashion. And, you know, the, the wheel route, the wheel route trolling is real. Like the fact that they couldn't adjust to that last year, it should, should fall directly on Kirby's shoulders. He is the defensive coordinator of that team. He is the guy who recruited all that elite talent. Yeah. They had a couple of injuries, but that's the whole point of recruiting all that elite. If I was a Georgia fan, I'd be going nuts. So, you know, the problem is, is that we don't just have to compete with Georgia. We also have to compete with Alabama and all those, all those Alabama fans are perfectly happy with their coaching situation. So, um, but again, I mean, the reason I bring that up is that, yeah, there are, there are marks on Mullen's resume that maybe bring some concern, but there's also marks on Kirby Smart's resume that bring concern. There's marks on Mark Stoops resume that bring concern. Yeah. So, and that's where and that's where the thing I think come in when people say, "Well, who else would you want?" And pretty much, there's really nobody out there that's available. Nick Saban. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> nobody available that I can sit here and say, "All right, well, he's going to come in here and do better." I don't know yeah. that. And then look, Mullen was a guy I wanted hired in 2018. I still feel that way. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think we've had a lot of fun 
the last three or four years watching this team. 2017 was absolutely miserable. Um, it was miserable for a lot of reasons. One, the 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 offense was awful. Two, the the results were bad. And three, you had to deal with McIlwain and all the death threats and all the drama that was going on. So Mullen brings a little bit of drama, which is kind of interesting. But at the same time, he's not actively antagonizing the fans, at least not yet. And, uh, you know, puts a good product out on the field. Is it going to be good enough? I don't know. That's one of the fascinating things about all of this is that, you know, at the end of the day, three, four, five years from now, we're going to have an answer. Right? I mean, the answer is going to be, can Florida sort of catch that lightning in a bottle 2019 LSU type of stuff? Or are we going to be looking at 10 and two every year and, and asking ourselves, is that good enough? And sort of the Mark Richt Georgia era at Florida. And, and, you know, we'll see where that goes. I mean, I think he's got some things to prove, but until you win a national championship at Florida, you always have things to prove until you win an sec championship at Florida, you definitely have things to prove. So yeah. Does he have stuff to prove? Absolutely. But so does everybody not name Saban in the sec right now. Absolutely. 99% of college football is that way. So all right, let's, uh, let's continue on uh, with Josh. Payton. Absolutely. So, Josh, a couple weeks ago, I had a small pocket of Gator fans get upset at me uh, when I said Georgia's going to be picked to win the SEC East, and it won't even be close when we get around to SEC media days in a couple months. So you know, all I was stating was how people are going to vote, and, and not that that signifies what will happen, of course, but you know, Georgia did have a spring game, and, and many were able to watch, and that only extended that thought. So what were your takeaways from the, from the dogs of spring? Well, I agree with your assessment about the vote. It may not be unanimous, but it'll be darn close to it. And that's just the way the winds are blowing right now. They've been wrong before. They could be wrong again. I say they. I don't vote in that intentionally, so I can say they instead of we. <laughs> but I think what I saw from them, um, I like where I like where they're at finally at quarterback. This is the first place people are going to focus. That's fine. I like where they're at at quarterback, man. It's the first time in really Kirby Smart's tenure. It's the first time you could ever enter a spring and reasonably say offensive line is a bigger question than quarterback or defense. How about this defensive back at Georgia right now is a bigger question than quarterback. So that's, that's a fascinating place to be. I guess it's a good place to be. I think the loss of George Pickens can't be overstated. Not only do you lose a really talented receiver, but Pickens was the true alpha number one receiver in that room. He was the guy that every other receiver was going to work off of. And it's one thing to lose, you know, I, I think sometimes this gets overlooked. Let's say you have your top four receivers and you lose number two and you watch the unit and it still goes on clicking and hey, you may lose some production, but overall it's still fine. And some people think that's just, oh, you lose wide receiver one or two or three. It's okay as long as you have the depth. No, when you lose that number one receiver, it's a totally different world because everything else those other guys do in a lot of cases scheme wise is working off that number one and the attention that he commands defensively. So they got a while. The first point is they got a while to try and find adequate replacement for that. But then the second thing is, remember, they're trying to do something this year that they really haven't committed to, to this point in Kirby Smart's tenure. And that is really committing to a vertical passing game. It, they did it in the spring. It's easy to do in the spring. Are you going to do it in the fall? And that's always the question around there, it seems. But the other aspect, just to zoom it out a little bit here is, if defensive back is the biggest question for this team, it's not going to be a valid excuse if they don't get it done. Mm. I'll just say that. I don't care because there's a big difference here, kind of like we were talking about with Florida and even more so with this Georgia defensive backfield. All these guys they have there are very young, very inexperienced, but all the big programs wanted them. And so they have 
plenty of talent, overflowing with talent there. If we get to the end of the year and someone is trying to tell me Georgia didn't get it done this year because they were too green or inexperienced in the secondary, and you got Kirby Smart as your head coach, and you got Dan Lanning as your D.C., and you got Will Muschamp just hanging out to hang out there, <laughs> there is no excuse. I don't care what the situations are. There is no excuse for defensive back play to be the undoing of Georgia this year. Josh, we, we, we brought up, you know, what Florida was able to do last year with that offense and now the transition to an Emory Jones dual threat uh, style of offense and what Florida is, is going to be able to do this fall uh, compared to what you just brought up for Georgia. And about a month ago, uh, you had on your show um, kind of a, a look at the programs. You know, you had your teams. You had your 2020 teams. Florida was able to finally beat Georgia, go on to, to Atlanta, play Alabama really tough. But that's different. You know, you, you look at programs as a whole, and that's like a three-, four-year window there. So how do you view the Florida program and the Georgia program right now? I, it's interesting because the difference in program versus team is never on more display than it is in a situation like this. Last time these two were on the field, Florida won the game. They were the better team. But as programs stand, I don't think that Florida's program has bypassed Georgia. A program, I look at a program, like you said, as a three- or four-year at any given shot, a three- or four-year snapshot of what you know, your, your organization is. And so you got to do some more things consistently at Florida than one year in order to overtake that because otherwise it wouldn't mean anything if you could undo that stuff in one year it really wouldn't mean much it'd be no different than the team actually and so georgia last year keep in mind the guy that's going to start for them at quarterback this year was already on the roster you just got to face stetson bennett and if you want to know how bad the quarterback situation was for georgia in that year stetson bennett's still at georgia i don't know if people realize this he's not in witness protection he is still at georgia and is running fourth string for them now. In many cases, behind guys who were already on campus last year. So make sense of that what you will. I have no clue what they were doing. But um, they continue to recruit at a high level. They continue to have a really good staff. I mean, they're doing all the things you need to do, reinvesting in infrastructure, yada, yada, yada. And uh, I'm not saying Florida's not doing that. I'm just saying in the critical factors, they're not matching Georgia shot for shot there. And the other thing that I would look at if I were a Florida fan is, and this is kind of where you get a little aggravated, there's no roadblock in Florida matching those things. So, in other words, if you find yourself not measuring up to fill in the blank, in this case, Georgia, here or there, then it's the mirror that you have to look in. It's nothing else holding you down. If we were talking about Florida Atlantic, that's a different story. But we're talking about University of here. So, now, I'm not saying the gap is a mile wide or anything like that. I'm certainly not saying that. But I am saying if you're stacking those programs in the East right now, I still pretty confidently put Georgia at number one. Probably won't disagree with him there, Will. Uh, when you look at three, four-year window, Georgia in the SEC championship game, and now for 2021 projected to be uh, a top three, four team when the season starts. So that's kind of where the the whole window uh, of looking at the programs go. Yes, Florida won last year, but when you – Florida was the better team. Florida was a better team in 2020. Look at the better programs, and you probably still have to shift that thought to Georgia just a bit. But I did the, the big takeaway there, and like we, we've discussed Florida-Georgia in, in comparison there, but the, the one part that I, I, I like where, what Josh brought that part up of 
there's really shouldn't be holding anything holding Florida back from from being up there. And it's kind of going back to our point of, of recruiting FSU and Miami being down. You have the fertile recruiting state of Florida. Um, now, you know, do uh, the, the does the admin take it as serious as Georgia and Alabama? That's not Dan Mullen's fault. Uh, the um, you know, being scared to death of probation and, and all that stuff. That's not Dan Mullen's fault. You know, and he's on a the the recruiting violation punishment now uh so right there you know there are things uh you know florida doesn't spend money currently like georgia in recruiting and like of course like alabama does the facility is on its way so yes there are things that you could point to that maybe the higher upset florida are choosing in a way that hold them all in, in the world of recruiting back that's not the complete story I and mean, we, we basically going back to what we d- discussed 10 15 minutes ago but uh, I do like Josh's point of saying a lot of the things of why Florida's not recruiting at Georgia and Alabama's level is pretty much of their own doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked what he said about there being no excuses. I mean, you and I both know enough Georgia fans that there were a lot of excuses last year after Florida beat Georgia for, you know, Stetson Bennett's our quarterback and we were missing a bunch of guys on the defense and, and all sorts of stuff. And it's like, look, you're a big boy. You're in the SEC. You're in you're one of the top four programs in the SEC. And so there are no excuses. And I just, I would say the same thing about Florida, right? There are no excuses. If Florida's not spending enough money, that's on them. If Mullen isn't recruiting as hard as Kirby Smart, that's on him. And if Smart can't figure out how not to call a ridiculous fourth down fake field goal with Justin Fields and instead start Fields over Fromm, that's on him too, right? So all of those things, there, there just are no excuses. And that's the reality is when you get paid this kind of money, and you're in a conference like this, there are no excuses. And so next year there will be be no excuses for Georgia. JT Daniels completed 67% of his passes last year, 10.3 yards per attempt with a rating of 178.5. That's elite-level quarterback play. And if they figure out a way to ruin that, then that's on the coaching staff. And if if they don't have a good backup, if something happens to Daniels, that's on the coaching staff. And if the defensive backs aren't ready, that's on the coaching staff. Just like we said this year, right? right? I mean, Florida has an elite offense. We finally have a quarterback. We're scoring 40 points a game, and we can't stop anybody. And and the frustration started to mount. So I'd say it's the same thing with Georgia. It's the same thing with LSU. It's the same thing with Auburn. Everybody who's chasing Alabama is going to have that same frustration. There are no excuses. You're in the SEC. You knew that when you signed up. You knew that when you took the paycheck when you decide to come to Florida or Georgia, and, and that's the reality. All right, let's get back to Josh and take a look around the uh, the SEC. Josh, we've brought it up plenty here on Gators Breakdown, and maybe may too much. A lot of fans to kind of throw that at us, but you know, it probably starts with the, the world of recruiting. And you look at team talent composite when that comes out right before the season starts. You know, Florida's comfortably in the top ten, Georgia's comfortably in the top two. Three. When, when, when you look at it that way. Uh, so I think when you look at Dan Mullen's recruiting, and I always put it this way, I was like, okay, so if he does buck the trend, you know, when you look at trends, you especially lately, you have to be up there in what a lot of people consider elite recruiting. Florida doesn't have elite recruiting. So if Dan Mullen's able to, on a consistent basis, beat Georgia, compete with Alabama, you know, then he's bucking the trend. He deserves even more credit. But when you look at history, history says the recruiting has to be up there, especially because of what Alabama is doing. So uh, I think a, a lot of when you look at the program snapshot in that three, four year window, it really starts in the world of recruiting. I want you to think about it like this, David. I just thought about this now. So um, 
like two or three times a year, I'll come up with a good point and I'll just repeat it over and over. <laughs> so I think this may be one of them. So at Florida, it is my personal opinion. There's no reason for Florida to ever be at a talent disadvantage to anyone. Just period, point blank, don't, don't care who the head coach is. Because you got access to all the talent in the world and you are a destination place for a recruit if you are selling them properly. So think about that. That's my opinion. If you believe it or not, that's fine. That's my opinion. Florida will be a decided talent underdog in a quarter of their games this year at least. So we're talking about playing Georgia. We're talking about playing Alabama this year. And then they'll be a talent underdog to LSU. Now, I have no clue what a point spread on that game would be at the moment. But that is, that's a quarter of the rosters you play right off the bat in a 12-game season that you have a decided disadvantage against. And that's really where the rubber meets the road because you, you're going to recruit top 10 classes. And this is where you have to understand the context and the nuance of college football. Man, if you're in the Mountain West and you're talking like that, you're on top of the world. No one's ever going to touch you. You're on a block down here where you could finish with the seventh highest rated class in America and finish fourth in the conference in recruiting rankings. And it's very easy to just say, oh, well, that's just guesswork. It's really not, man. I'm telling you, it's really not. I used to say that before I got in this industry. I used to say that stuff all the time. If the team that I was pulling for that given year you know, if they, if they fell off a little bit in recruiting, I'd say, oh, they'll just develop their guys or, oh, those star rankings are overrated. And if you believe that, you really have to put your head firmly in the sand when it comes to the NFL draft. Because the same ones rated high on signing day are the exact same ones with very little fail that are rated highly and having the most guys taken in the draft. It matters. you got to get more of them. There's no rocket scientist needed in the room to figure this out. you just got to keep more of that talent home. I was looking last night, you know, we were doing a show last night, as you and I record right now, where I was kind of, well, I, I'll just put it to you like it was. I was making fun of people who think you need to change the playoff in order to get parity and get more people to the table in college football. Man, the answer to evening out college football more is having a program like Florida step up and keep three, three or four more elite talents in-state home any given year. Instead of watching kids from Central and South Florida go to Columbus, Ohio, and Tuscaloosa, Alabama to play their college ball. No one grows up in Orlando saying, I got to get out of here and go to Tuscaloosa for my 18 to 22-year-old portion of my life. Man, they're going there because that's where they know they're going to have the best chance to get developed and go to the league. There's no reason you can't offer that at Florida or Miami and Florida State, for that matter, but we're talking Florida here. There's no reason that they have to go anywhere north of Gainesville in order to get every single thing they need. But it's on you to show them that you can do it. It's not on them to take a chance on you. Preaching to the choir here, Josh. Preaching to the choir here. So uh, let's take a look uh, at the rest of the SEC East. Uh, a lot of storylines in the SEC East. It's going to be Georgia to pick the win the East comfortably. Florida second pretty comfortably as well. Then it opens up. Missouri, Kentucky. Missouri and Kentucky will likely you know, be the candidates for that third spot while we have to you know, just see how much of an effect uh, the new coaching changes have. Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Same for Josh Heupel at Tennessee and Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. Man, a lot of changes going on in the SEC East right now. There sure are. Um, I think you almost called them Kentucky, and maybe that's apropos <laughs> for the word this, this interview. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm interested in Kentucky because no one hardly knows anything about them right now. Like you said, they were pretty closed off too. When you're Kentucky, you can do that and not get ridiculed. But they, uh, and they being Mark Stoops mainly, he is, I think, gotten Kentucky to the point 
where he looks around and I mean, Mark Stoops is about as safe as any coach outside of Nick Saban, maybe in the SEC right now. And so he looked around and he, if he's sneaking this, I agree with him. He says, I have got my head pushed firmly against the ceiling here in terms of what we're capable of doing things the way I do them. They play a very no nonsense, uh, low margin for error, ball control. I mean, everyone knows what Kentucky football is. Well, he's taking a chance. And he has got a new offensive staff in there. And they're installing a new offense. And they're going to try and do some more up-tempo things. They're going to try and throw the ball more. And I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Um, You know, there are examples of people deviating from their identity somewhat and it paying off big. And there are many more examples of people doing that and failing horribly at it. So that's something to watch. Missouri, which I always think the SEC fans believe is just halfway to Russia, they're up there, and they are, they're a program last year that I thought never got off the ground and never was, at least the product was never equal to maybe the sum of what the individual parts were. And so this year, if you just reverse that, and they're, they've got a quarterback, man. Basilek's not a bad quarterback. Uh, they got a head coach, and they've got a staff up there that gets to be off the radar, and they just kind of they get to exist in the SEC, but they don't have to have that SEC spotlight on them. So those two programs, I've got an eye on, to be honest with you, more than Tennessee and South Carolina, even though there are plenty of quote-unquote storyline reasons to watch the balls and Gamecocks. Now let's go to the West and the Gators' two opponents on that side before we let you go here, Josh. Florida draws the last two national champions, Alabama and LSU. Now there seems to be some optimism uh, in, in Gator Nation that you get Alabama early in the season and maybe catching them early in the process with a lot of change going on. Helps you helps you a bit here. But if there's any program, of course, that can reload fast, of course, it's Alabama. They roll into the swamp the third game of the season for what will be an atmosphere in Gainesville that we haven't seen since the Auburn in, in 2019. So does, um, does Florida catching Alabama early in the season help their chances at the big upset there? First, let me tell you, I got, I got a little excited when you said that because I was at that Auburn game. Uh, it's the first time I've been on the sidelines in the swamp, and that was a that was a crazy atmosphere. Uh, a little side note: down the tunnel beforehand, I watched Spurrier walk up to Gus Malzahn and talk to him, and I, I took some pictures because I thought, you know, this is probably going to be significant one way or the other. Either either Auburn's going to win this game and go on to do big things this year, and this will be a fun little anecdote, or this is one of the last pictures I'm going to get of Gus Malzahn wearing an Auburn polo. So it turned out to be the latter. But I remember that atmosphere, and, man, I think you're right. When, the last time Bama was down there was when Muschamp was there, I mm-hmm. think, and like a night game. But I – man, I, you know, one of the side notes on this is that's the first time that a lot of these Bama guys, because uh, they start a lot of young kids every year, and this year will be no different. It's going to be the first away crowd that a lot of these guys play in front of, period. So knowing what Florida can do to a road team, that's a factor. You got a young quarterback. That's a factor. Now, here's what I focus on already with this game. I happen to think Alabama is going to be massively improved defensively this year. And so it could be true, David, that they go in there and they really struggle to hang their usual 35 or 40 points on Florida. That could be the case. But the follow-up question is going to be, what if you can't move the ball in Alabama very well either? And all of a sudden we get what used to be known as a good old-fashioned SEC football game. What if we have one of those breakout in week three? I do believe in the sentiment that if you're going to catch them, yes, earlier in the season, probably still got some heat involved in the game, and you definitely have the, the um, home field advantage involved in the game. 
certainly that's going to be – I mean, that's one of the big circle points on Bama's schedule. Certainly for Florida it is too because, you know, it's like Alabama's kind of like if you watch – I'm a big weather nerd. So if you watch hurricanes and they're trying to enter the Gulf of Mexico, well, it's got to go over Cuba and it's got to go over all those islands in the Caribbean and maybe it'll shear it apart. But if it gets into the Gulf and then it's got nothing but open, warm bathwater to feed on, well, then they're probably not going to weaken. Alabama's the same way. So that week three at Florida, that's one where they're still trying to get their legs under them. But if they get loose and they get past that point, then they're only going to strengthen. And then you deal with a machine, as we usually do from about the middle point of the season on. Josh, of course, Gators fans are looking forward to that game. And I have a Gators breakdown plus. And we have a chat room. And because of all the talk of Todd Grantham coming back as defensive coordinator and all the changes going on for Florida for offense, I posed a question. I was like, okay, if that game – is 23-20 Alabama final score. Who are you putting the blame on? Who are you putting the loss on? Is it Todd Grantham because he let Alabama score 23 points or you blame it on Dan Mullen because the offense only scored 20 points at home? So I, I found that, that probably magical around that area score there. I think it has some Gator fans pretty torn. Well, that would be a very big deal, man. If you let, Let's just say this out loud. Let's not even decide who the winner is going to be. If you're giving either of us, if you're giving either side of that thing, 23 to 20, number one, you're getting a classic game, we would assume. I mean, number two, the entire attention of the college football universe and beyond. Some people who don't care about college football would be turning that thing on by the early portion of the fourth <laughs> quarter. I mean, have you ever – think about the landscape of college football right now. Has there ever been a collective moment that there would have been more Florida Gator fans in America than that point. I would think back when they played Ohio State in that, I think it was the first title game. Was that the first one Meyer was there? Yeah, yep, 2006, State? yep. Yeah, okay. I, I am confident in saying a majority of the country was pulling for them that night. But outside of that, man, you'd have, you'd have an entire country full of uh, Gator chomps and people probably doing it the wrong way because they've never done it before. <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that would be a fascinating situation to see unfold. Absolutely. Uh, Josh, last thought here. The other West opponent for the Gators this year, LSU, storyline galore there in Baton Rouge. Orgeron makes a change at defensive coordinator after just one season. Out goes Bo Pelini. In comes Durante Jones. Offensive coordinator, new there as well. Jake, Pe- Jake Peets comes in. Have a perceived logjam at quarterback with Max Johnson and Miles Brennan. They do. You know, there's a lot to talk about with LSU, and I know, I know we don't have a lot of time. But, man, they are th- – their coaching staff, could go radically different ways. I mean, they tried to go as 2019 as possible, which it, it's not hard to figure out why. But when they went and got Durante Jones, it just struck me as so odd that Orgeron voluntarily came out and said, oh, he wasn't my first choice. He was like my fourth or fifth choice, but okay, he's here. And if, you, if you're laughing at me right now, if you're listening to this, that is not paraphrasing. That is a quote. That's an outright quote from the head coach at LSU just telling you, I got my fifth option, so, you know, whatever. Uh, he said that, and then he got Pete, who is just the guy with the closest ties that he could get to that 2019 staff. But, man, they're young. Like, that coaching staff is young. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. I think Ryan Day did it better at Ohio State. He's got a nice little infusion of youth and experience. But that quarterback room at LSU, I, I think two things about it. I think two things can be true. I think it could be one of the best quarterback rooms in the country without an elite quarterback in it. And they've got a lot of guys. I think they got three guys, really four, that they would trust to play with by the time the season starts. Now, T.J. Finley, I don't think is an option for them to really win with. 
Um, Garrett Nussmeyer will be one day. But Max Johnson, Florida fans know good and well who that is. They, they've seen him win for LSU. And then also Miles Brennan, they, they know that they can win with. But I wonder if any of those guys are ready to fully emerge at the forefront. And to do that, you know, if you look back at 2019, even if you want to duplicate a fraction of what that 2019 team did with Joe Burrow, well, Burrow had a ton of all-star wide receivers around him and a running back in the backfield. And neither of those positions, I, I don't think, are ironed out for LSU right now. They got Kayshawn Boutte, who I think is a dynamite, surefire number one receiver in the SEC. But behind them, or behind him, they got a lot of names. And they got a lot of guys who had stars next to their name, but I, that's not depth. Depth is developed when you prove it on the field. So they got a lot of names on paper. They don't have a lot of depth there yet. They have reason to believe they can develop it. Ditto at running back. But, man, offensive line, like not across the board, but on the interior, especially on the right side of that offensive line, I think that there are some questions there too. So they got work to do. But, again, like you say with so many teams down in the SEC, they got talent all over the place. And they have not slowed down a bit in recruiting. So they should not be without the talent, which, of course, puts the onus squarely on the shoulders of the head coach. Josh, man, I can't thank you enough for joining here on Gators Breakdown, man. I hold you in high esteem up there for for a, a boys in college football. Uh, let our listeners know uh, how they can find you and what you put out there for 24-7 sports. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, you can find the late kick, the visual medium, if you want it. You can go to the 24-7 sports YouTube channel. We do that thing multiple nights a week there. Two nights in the, in the uh, I don't say off season, I say X season, <laughs> uh, but three nights a week in the fall. But also, you can find the Late Kick podcast wherever you get your podcast, and you can follow me Twitter, Instagram at Late Kick Josh. All right, well, there we go. Good stuff from Josh Pate. Definitely, we'll get him back on. Uh, like I said, one of the when I, when I need some national college football talk, one of the first places I go, him and Bill King. I hear, so me mentioning him would you know the the. Um, Bill King, who's who's been around the block for for years, covering SEC and, and national football. Me putting Josh up there with them. Uh, if 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 he does listen, that, that that that's high regard, high high esteem. There, uh, we will have to kind of move forward. Uh, the, I will say, listening to the tor- the end of that interview uh, again, week three, the swamp, Gainesville, Alabama. I can't wait, man. <laughs> I just can't wait. <laughs> it it is Grantham's opportunity for redemption. That that is what it is. And I don't care if it's twenty three to twenty. If Florida loses twenty three to twenty, it's Grantham's fault. <laughs> and and if Florida wins twenty three to twenty, it's it's Grantham's. It's Grant. It's because of Grantham, right? I, I think at the end of the day, unless that game is like fifty four to forty eight and Florida wins, that that's Grantham's opportunity for redemption. And and the storyline going into that is is and. The, the hype and all that sort of stuff because you expect both teams to be undefeated and you expect I mean I expect to have seen some pretty big numbers put up by both quarterbacks for both teams and some of their cupcakes early on um so oh, yeah it should Miami be exciting a, Miami a cupcake week one for Bama <laughs> I mean come on it's Alabama it's a cupcake <laughs> well, I know, I, know. We, I had to make sure that that shot was emphasized I mean is, is Tate Martell quarterbacking this year is he <laughs> is he is he back uh, I don't know I don't know who they got a quarterback Oh, uh, King's back if he's healthy. Uh, I don't know. I think they should start Tate. There we go. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it should be fun. Uh, hopefully, week three, we we get to it, then uh, it would be a whole lot of fun in Gainesville. So, before we go, 
of course, we uh, have to hit on the NFL draft and uh, what was our, our big takeaways uh, from there. Of course, Will, the three, two first-round picks, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney. Uh, we kind of just knew that was going to happen. Kadarius Toney goes a little bit higher than we actually thought uh, there with that 20th pick by the Giants, who uh, traded up to get him uh, there. So Urban Meyer in Jacksonville was very disappointed that Kadarius Tony was not available there with the Jaguars' 25th pick. And look, I, I love the transparency of Urban Meyer. Yes, I got Travis Etienne, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I wanted Kadarius Tony there at 25. So that was one big takeaway of an NFL coach being so open that there was a guy in the draft that he actually wanted, and it was one Kadarius Tony. Yeah, it's funny to see Meyer say that. At least he didn't, like, you know, suggest like Kyle Shanahan did for the 49ers that his guys might not be alive the next day. That was sort of oh. – there was some weird stuff going on around around the NFL draft this year. Tony's an interesting one. I, I think uh, the more I think about it, the less I like it just because I don't think Daniel Jones is all that great a quarterback. And so you do wonder, one of the things that made Tony so success- successful last year was trash being able to hit him in stride. And if Jones isn't able to hit him in stride, it takes away some of the things that he's able to do because of his quick change of direction. So it's going to be interesting to see whether the quarterbacks, and I think Mike Glennon is the backup. So um, my article saying that Kadarius Tony should be the New York Giants quarterback is probably very quick around the corner once, uh, once the Giants kick off their season. Uh, Will, and uh, so Pitts becomes the highest drafted tight end in the common draft era. Uh, and was also the first SEC tight end to be drafted in the top 10 and just seventh to go in the first round since 1967. Uh, Tony become, uh, become the first Gators wide receiver to be selected in the first round since Percy Harvin, uh, back 22nd overall by the Minnesota Vikings in 2009. Who would have ever told you? I mean, look, every draft is different, of course, but Kadarius Tony would have been drafted higher than Percy Harvin. <laughs> I mean, that just blows my mind. And look, that it, must it, have been an unbelievable draft. Yeah, man, I'm telling you. I mean, just uh, whew. I mean, I, I actually just put that together in my head right now. I was like, oh man, just just thought about that. But uh, the highest drafted since Redale Anthony was selected by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a 16th overall pick in 1996. Think here it is, Will. It's the first time the Gators have had two offensive skill position players drafted in the top 20 since 1996. We want to know – look, that, that, that's good. That, that's good for the Gators, good for Tony, good for Pitts and all that. But that was when Ike Hillier was also selected in, in the first round along there with Rio Anthony. That lets you know the gap in what happens with what Alabama does and where, where Florida's at. Alabama, it seems like commonplace now where they got skill guys going into the top ten uh, of the NFL draft. And this is the first time Florida's done it since 1996, even with – those great Urban Meyer teams, I mean, I, I hate bringing Alabama up so much, but I, I bring it up here is because it's just ridiculous what they do. And, you know, it, it does set the barometer, an unrealistic barometer out there for other teams to live by. Yeah, well, I mean, you've seen the the picture circulating around where they've got Judy and and Smith and <laughs> and you know four first round draft picks out there on the field, you know, two years ago. But that's the thing, right? Is that Alabama hasn't won the national title every year. There have been yeah. other teams that have been able to step up and been able to beat them, even with all that talent. And you know, I, I'm really interested to see what happens with Pitts. I think I think um, I, I think there's been an awful lot of hype. 
and deservedly so because he played so well in college, but it also took him a year to sort of get his feet wet and get to where he felt comfortable and really started performing at the college level. Um, I think the Falcons are eventually going to be happy that they drafted him, but I, I don't know that we should expect Kyle Pitts to be rookie of the year. I think that with some of the weapons there that they have, you know, Julio Jones and, and Calvin Ridley, there's only so many balls to go around and uh, you know, Pitts is going to be a big part of that, but I think probably, Early in the year, I think there might be some grumbling from Atlanta fans, and then you'll start to see him take off towards the later end of the season. All right, there and now Florida has had at least one pick in the NFL draft since 1952, the longest streak in the SEC. Um, so here we go, and then we move to the second round, and Kyle Trask, second round, 64 pick, 64 pick overall, goes to Tampa Bay. Uh, a lot of Gator fans who are Tampa Bay fans as well. Really, really excited for that. He's the first Florida quarterback to be drafted since Tim Tebow in 2010, the eighth quarterback drafted in school history, fifth highest drafted Gator signal caller, and the first Florida quarterback to be selected ever in the second round there for for one Kyle Trask. So some good and bad here, (laughs) Will, with uh, Kyle Trask to Tampa Bay. He gets to learn behind Tom Brady, gets to see how the best does it and, and maybe can apply a lot of that. Uh, with his own game uh, there. So before I, I get into the, the, the negative about it there, uh, Will, I'll let, I'll, I'll let you chime in because I know you have, and I don't want to steal your thunder just in case. I, I, I hate this pick for Trask. I, I, I mean, and, and I actually like the pick for the Buccaneers. I don't like the pick for Trask. I think learning from Brady's great. The fact that he's a, um, a guy who's been experienced in preparing as a backup is great, especially for Tampa Bay. But I think what's going to end up happening is, is that Brady's going to play another two or three years and the second round pick has a four year contract. And so Trask is going to come up and be the starter essentially in year one post Brady when the Buccaneers will have mortgaged their entire future to try to win championships with Brady at quarterback. And so I can envision a scenario where Trask is trying to prove himself in a contract year and Tampa Bay has a bunch of old guys that they signed at very high salary cap numbers, or they've had to cut, you know, sort of cut things down to the studs because of the fact that they have overspent in the last couple of years of Brady's tenure. And then you're left with Trask essentially playing on last year's Jaguars trying to prove himself. And it's interesting because if you look at Daniel Jones, who gets quite a bit of uh, pub there in New York, his stats compared to Gardner Menchu are actually worse, right? And and Menchu is not mentioned as somebody who's a decent quarterback. I mean, he's mentioned as a decent quarterback, but not – I don't think people are like chomping at the bit for him to be the the starting quarterback anywhere. And and so that's the thing that I look at in terms of what Trask is going to be going through in Tampa. I think he'll learn from the best. I think Arians is a great quarterback coach. I think it's going to prepare him. I just don't know whether when it's time for him to really step into the starter's role, whether he's going to have the supporting cast that's able to help him excel. Um, Similarly, you know, I think we may have seen that a little bit like the Drew Brees, Philip Rivers transition in San Diego is something that, that sort of comes to mind where there was, you know, a step back in the last year of Brees, Brees goes to the, um, you know, Brees goes to the, uh, the Saints, and then Rivers comes in. And it's not the same situation, but those sorts of things, those transitions are going to be difficult, especially because they're going to be, it's going to be Super Bowl or bust for Tampa Bay as long as Brady's there. One more about that. You have to follow Tom Brady. 
That is another. I mean, that that that's and, and look. I think mentally, if there's anybody there that can do it, from what we've seen the last uh, since 2017, Kyle Trask is the right guy mentally to do that. But you still have to follow what many out there consider the goat. So yeah, you get to learn from him and all that. But there's going to be so much pressure, so much comparison, unfairly of uh, of of whatever Tom Brady does in his last couple of years to what Kyle Trask does in in his first year. Uh, so yeah, you can weather that storm of of um, of what's what's to come of following one of the game's greatest. It's funny. I don't even mind that, right? I mean, I, I feel like Tampa fans. I don't feel really like- I think it's something that's that w- that will be there. I, I, I'm not. I'm not really necessarily worried about it, but I think it's something that's going to be there. Sure, but I mean, I I think it's something that's going to be there for Mac Jones in New England more than it is for Contrast at Tampa. Yeah. I think Tampa sort of look at it and say getting the last couple of years of Brady's career is kind of gravy, right? Like Brady doesn't really belong to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He still belongs to New England regardless of what he does in Tampa Bay. And so, you know, three years, even if he wins the Super Bowl all three years and then runs off into the sunset, I mean, yeah, Trask is going to get compared to him. At the same time, the fact that Tampa has already gotten a Super Bowl from Brady does mean that the fan base is probably going to be a little bit more patient because they under they they went through the yep. Jameis Winston era. They understand what that is. Kind of like, you know, we're, we're more patient with – I mean, I, I hope we're more patient with Mullen because we've had Muschamp and McIlwain. <laughs> if it had been Urban Meyer to Mullen, I, think, I don't think we would have been quite as patient. And so having that Jameis Winston interlude between the last championship and this one, I'm sure, is going to give uh, Trask a little bit of cover there. All right, and five former Gators received the call on the final day of the NFL draft, so that made eight Gators were selected for this year's draft. And the most for the program since 2017. Um, wow, since 2017, you know, the, the, the lost year of Gator football still had eight draft picks there. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, Will, just the takeaways there, uh, Marco Wilson goes fourth round uh, to the Arizona Cardinals, Evan McPherson fifth round, the only kicker. Selected in the whole NFL draft was one Evan McPherson, fifth round to the Cincinnati Bengals. Sean Davis, fifth round as well to the Colts. To Daryl Slayton, fifth round as well to the Green Bay Packers. And then Stone Forsyth, offensive lineman, sixth round to the Seattle Seahawks. And then the big takeaway, Will, Marco Wilson being drafted in the fourth round, that did surprise a little bit of people, but we you know, discussed last week on the on the draft preview. You could see that the testing results were going to probably boast him up there around that range. But then wide receiver Trevon Grimes goes undrafted. Big surprise, uh, mostly. The Gators could have had nine draftees, as most people thought that Trevon Grimes uh, was going to get drafted. It did not happen. He gets picked up in free agency by the Philadelphia Eagles. Brett Heggie to the Giants. Donovan Steiner to Pittsburgh as well as uh, a free agent after the draft. But Big surprise there, Will. Um, look, I wasn't as high on Trevon Grimes as a lot of other people. But don't get me wrong. I definitely thought he would be drafted uh, given, you know, his size, his stature. Um, you know, and I put on Gators Breakdown Plus in my draft preview. If there was one thing I think he could improve on to be a, pro- a productive NFL player, get better, use that size in, in, the, in those jump ball scenarios. We saw it at points in, in 2020 for some big plays. I wanted to see it more throughout his career uh, there. And I know the the big read with him, he's a little stiff and, and not as fast. He didn't test good either for, at the Florida Pro Day, but in no way, shape, or form that I see Trevon Grimes 
go, go, go undrafted in this past weekend's NFL draft. No, I mean, I think, though, when you think back to the last three seasons, really, um, I remember a couple of years ago, I was picking Grimes as the guy who I thought was going to break out, and that just never happened, right? And you saw the four wide receivers from a couple of years ago bypass him in terms of their hierarchy within the system. You saw Pitts and, and Tony sort of take that next step up, and Grimes was not able to do that either. Now, he's an elite blocker, which is one thing, which is the reason I thought he was going to be drafted. I thought he was going to be drafted much, much higher because he was an elite blocker. And you figure a guy who's a willing blocker is somebody that's going to be somebody who's good for your program. I'm happy he's up here in Philadelphia with me. I get to watch get to watch a Gator on one of my favorite teams, or on uh, not my favorite team, but my son's favorite team. And That'll be sort of fun. But, you know, I mean, I think he, there were times where he disappeared, right? I mean, where were the – like the giant catches against Georgia and Alabama are great, but where were those catches against Vanderbilt and Kentucky and Tennessee where you could have started to sort of pile up those numbers and in, in situations where he should have had a significant physical advantage? You didn't necessarily see that on film. I get that that might be what some people saw, but I think we're all surprised that he didn't. <laughs> that he didn't get drafted. I think Marco Wilson to Arizona is fascinating. I, I think him being on the West Coast is probably the best thing for him, mm. right? Get, get to where he's not going to play a Florida team, but maybe once every couple of years. And the people who really have been down on Marco are people who are from Florida and have associations with the university. Um, you know, but the guy is clearly phys- physically gifted. But you know, you saw sort of the entire defense had some confidence problems last year, and I suspect Marco was a big part of that. And so. If he can get his confidence back, he's going to be in Arizona where they've got, already got Drake Kirkpatrick and Patrick Peterson, so he's not going to be asked to be some lockdown corner starting out. He's going to get double teams. He's going to have the benefit of safety help an awful lot Patrick while Peterson. he's there, and so I think I think there's probably some benefit there. Um, and then the guy I'm really excited about is Forsyth, Stone Forsyth going to the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks offensive line has been terrible over the last couple of years, Russell Wilson was sort of hinting that they better get some help because he was, he was going to sort of push maybe even to get his way out of there. If, if they weren't able to get him some help, but if he wasn't, if he was running for his life all the time and you know, granted he's a six round pick, so you, you don't necessarily know how they're going to use him, but considering how bad Seattle's offensive line has been, I, I think we're going to hear from stone Forsyth before next year's over. Yeah, most people expected him to be drafted much higher than he was with all the pre-draft love that he was getting and uh, and the passing attacks in the NFL uh, there. So, yeah, Russell Wilson, I'm sure, uh, once camp starts and sees uh, uh, Stone Force South and decides that he could bring there at tackles, like, okay, let, let's let's go do something, big boy. So uh, uh, I think uh, you know, Russell Wilson will, will have to be smiling if he's still in Seattle. I mean, I know the all the talk there, but I'm pretty sure uh, he, he'll be excited to see him there. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that you, that that I, at least I noticed when you looked at the film is that because the right side of the line for Florida was was problematic at times last year, that meant Forsyth was out on an island a lot. Mm-hmm. And the left tackle is usually taken on the best defensive end from the other team, and he was able to do that for a full SEC schedule, stay healthy, and be able to do that successfully. I mean, you very rarely saw Trask getting pressured from his blind side last year. He did get pressured quite a bit from his right side and had to move around, but that also meant that Forsyth had to have the ability to, you know, as Trask was sort of shifting around 
around to be able to make adjustments without getting holding penalties. I honestly don't remember a holding penalty on Forsyth last year either. So you sort of combine those two things, and like you said, expected them to maybe go a little bit earlier. But I think there's some physical limitations there at the same time. Um, he's not a guy who started a ton of games. And so, um, you know, there's probably room to grow. And, and like I said, Seattle's offensive line has been so bad the last few years that, uh, you know, that they're going to end up getting some starts from Stone Forsyth over the next couple of years. Yeah, we'll probably have to keep an eye on social media too. You know, Trevon Grimes is out there kind of voicing displeasure and saying things will get out. And look, I, I don't know the whole story. Um, I know a lot of people want to put uh, maybe blame on the Florida staff or the Ohio State staff of maybe putting word out there for the, the, the fall of Trevon Grimes uh, in, in the draft. We'll kind of see uh, where <laughs> where that goes, if it comes out uh, or not. I will say, and I'll go back, look, Urban Meyer, who signed him at Ohio State, didn't draft him, drafted a, a, a speedy wide receiver from Georgia Tech <laughs> instead of Trevon Grimes sometime in the draft. Uh, he didn't go to Jacksonville with a head coach that he knows uh, as a free agent either. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see, uh, like I said, I was surprised by the drop uh, there, but we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on, on all that. He's uh, He's been Pretty busy at voicing his displeasure uh, on social media, Will. Well, so hopefully that's a good thing for the Eagles, right? I mean, you know, Tom Brady talks about a lot, the chip on his shoulder because of where he was drafted and all the quarterbacks who were drafted in front of him. And Grimes has the ability to show the same thing, right? Coming out of high school, he was somebody that people identified as one of those guys who could potentially be a game changer. And to go undrafted, you know, is is a wake-up call, I'm sure, where you say, okay, now I'm going to have to go earn it. But at the same time, he has the opportunity to earn it, right? And Philadelphia's wide receivers have been awful the last couple of years. Believe me, I've had the displeasure of watching that. So, you know, obviously they drafted Devontae Smith as well, so Grimes isn't going to be the top priority. At the same time, he's going to get an opportunity to win a job, and and he has the skill set to be able to do that, and we'll see if he's able to do it. All right, we'll wrap it up right there, Will. What you got coming up, man? I'm working on something for the NFL draft. So, you know, the, the thing is always recruiting versus the guys who go to the draft. And it's interesting over, over Mullen's tenure. Now we got 25 guys who've gone to the NFL draft. Not one of them is a five-star uh, recruit. And so what does that mean in terms of Mullen's development? That's something I got coming up in the next couple of days. And Pitts is the only Mullen recruit, right? Yeah, but I mean, again, the, I mean the, that's just a natural order. I'm, I'm not saying anything about you know. I'm not trying to downball it on that. Besides, if people, anybody take that by the way, take that the wrong way, I mean that's just it's the natural order of things. He's only been at Florida for three years, so of course all these draft picks are going to be McElwain guys. But you know, I think uh, I'm pretty sure Pitts is pretty the only the only one. Yeah, I mean, I, yes, but that 2018 class is also still yet to be determined, right? I mean, if if Emory Jones is getting drafted next year, that means Florida's had a really good year, um, and and there's still a lot of guys, you know, Damian Pierce, Trey Dean, guys like that from the Amari Bernie, guys like that from the from the 18 class who may still be heard from. Yep, and I know people want to say, oh, Pitts was committed to McElwain. Okay, whatever. I mean, Mullen still had to bring him in and, and sell him on the sell him on the vision there. So I mean, I'll give him I'll give him credit there. But uh, yes, McElwain got the commitment. But oh well, uh, he uh, was he was ranked like a hundred and eighty. What was he? Um, he was ranked 162nd overall by the high school recruiting rankings, which means that he was not going to be the number four overall draft pick if he just <laughs> if he just sat around for three years, right? So the the development aspect of things means something. Um, you know, I, I don't think you and I are ever arguing that development doesn't matter. What we're arguing right. is that developing guys who are already freaks athletically is a uh, is a shorter path to a championship and a shorter path to elite play. Um, 
but certainly Kyle Pitts has earned it because he's worked really hard. But I think Dan Mullins had a lot to, and Billy Gonzalez and 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 you know all the tight end coaches who have been there at Florida have had, I'm sure, an impact on his ability to to be where he is. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site readandreaction.com. I am the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.